Hey there, my name is Derek Duvall, and I'm the lead pastor of Awakened City Church in Harriman, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City. And I want to thank you for checking us out. Awakened City exists to connect people from all walks of life with the hope that's found in Jesus. And we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more information, you can visit awakenslc.com. Due to technical difficulties, the beginning portion of this sermon was not recorded, but we hope you can be encouraged by the portion that is available. Our hats, like what our favorite team is, maybe where we went to school. We can tell by people's oversharing on their Facebook pages what they're about. Uh, We can get a lot of descriptors by just observing people. And the thing is about Simeon, we don't get like what his job was, what he did, all this stuff. We get the two most important things that God wanted us to know about Simeon's life and that he was righteous and he was devout. And I think he was accredited these words because in some way Simeon would have had to have lived in such a way that consistently reflected the character of God in his life. For him to be considered righteous and devout, he would, have had, he would have lived out the very principles and the practices that he grew up learning from the prophets and in the Old Testament. He would have followed God in the ways that God commanded. Why? Because he had hope in God and hope in God alone. He was credited righteous and devout because his hope wasn't in the things that he could do or produce. His hope was in the belief that God would fulfill his promises and specifically the consolation of Israel. The word consolation means aid and comfort. And what he was pointing to was the coming of the Messiah who would deliver Israel from their enemy. Many thought that was a kingdom a physical enemy, but in fact, it was the enemy of sin. And so he lived with this hopeful expectation that God would do what he promised. And I believe this morning, if you can see it on the screen here too, that that hope changes our lives when we actively wait in expectation of God's promises. You see, there's a difference between waiting in expectation that God is going to do what he's doing and wishful thinking. You see, Simeon was fully in tune with what God promised in the Old Testament, and he was convinced without a doubt that God was going to do the very things that he promised, particularly through the fact that he had the Holy Holy Spirit working through his life. And I think that's really cool in this moment. We see the Holy Spirit working because many times there's this misconception that people only have the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended to heaven and after Pentecost. But we see here clearly that God called people for specific purposes at specific times and moved through them with the Spirit to do the very things that he wanted them to do. You see, Simeon wasn't a prophet. He wasn't this big leader that we know of there in the Jewish people. He just trusted God and trusted him to fulfill what he said. You know, I was thinking about this this week. It, it reminded me much like of that type of trust your child has in you. Right, your kid is going to believe, you know, until they get old enough and they know everything, right? But when they're young, like they have a sold out belief that mom and dad would never lie to them, that mom and dad are here to protect them, that if dad or mom says something, then it must be true and it's going to happen. You see, that's what hope and trust in God looks like. 
is that if God promises something through his word, then we can walk in confidence, much like Simeon, expecting God to fulfill the very thing he said. But you see, in the world that we live in, oftentimes we misplace our hope in things that that really don't give us hope at all. In some ways, it could be blind optimism. You'll hear me say the word optimism probably a few times here in a little bit. And being optimistic is not a bad thing. That, that's a good thing. My wife, for me, is, is the half glass full person. I'm the half glass empty. So when I'm not very optimistic, I rely on her optimism to, to get me through the day. But, but there's a big difference between hope and optimism and wishful thinking. Wishful thinking looks like this, right? It's, it's we're in a season of our life where things may be difficult. Right, and we create this playbook that if we fulfill X, Y, Z in this order, then our lives are going to be good. That these things are what's going to cause hope, and it's going to allow us to get through the next day. But here's the thing, people aren't perfect. See, sometimes even with our best intentions and our best plans, they just simply don't work out. And you see, if we put a hope level belief in ourselves, then there's going to be a moment in time where we're, where we're destined to feel like disaster is upon us. Because our hopes were crushed when our plans failed. You see, but Simeon lived life differently. You see, and and sometimes in those moments when we are feeling hopeless because things didn't work out, the whole idea of hope and Christmas kind of seem like a far and distant thing, something that you see on a a Hallmark movie, right? There's nothing wrong with Hallmark movies, but they, they play out all these perfect scenarios, but sometimes things don't work out that way. And when, and when our plans don't work out that way, then we think that it's all just fairy tales and it's lies and life is hard, just pull up your boots and work a little harder and you'll get through. But you see, that's not what God intended. You see, this, this time of year, though, um, hope is seen everywhere on your decorations, probably on your ornaments, right? I think we probably have at least one or two things that say hope in our house. Um, and so we, uh, we, we, we seek to find hope in many different things. And one of, the, one of the examples that came to my mind this week is how many of you are watching uh, Christmas movies right now? Anybody watching Christmas movies? It's okay to raise your hand. Everybody else is a Scrooge. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're watching Christmas movies all the time. Like we, we really get into the Christmas movies. And, and a lesson we can learn from one of those Christmas movies today is um, a lesson from Clark Griswold. How many of you have watched uh, Christmas Vacation this year? Oh, we have a couple, so, so, so it hasn't made it on, on some of our rotations yet. So Clark Griswold put a, uh, if you haven't watched it, this won't make sense to you then, uh, but I'm going to go with it anyways. Clark Griswold put a really unrealistic hope, an unguaranteed hope in something um, that, would come, that he believed would come to him, and that was a bonus. If you've worked in... in any type of industry long enough, I think you can understand and, and, and know that, you know, bonuses are never guaranteed. And if, if you put your hope and you put your trust in something that's not guaranteed and you go ahead and make decisions based on something that's not guaranteed, then you better buckle up when things get bad. And so that's what happened in the movie. Clark Griswold makes this uh, big down payment on a pool with the expectation that he was going to get this, this uh, bonus at the end of the year to wow his family and his wife and his kids and, and build this pool. And what happens? Well, 
his hope failed him. Because instead of receiving a check in the mail, he receives what? A membership to what? The Jelly of the Month Club. Pretty sure you can't buy a pool with that. And and the outcome of that, even though this is an extreme example, the outcome of that is he put his family in a financially like ruining potentially like position. He ruined Christmas Day because he then turned into this tyrant. And, And ultimately he led his cousin Eddie to committing a felony and kidnapping his boss. And you see, I know that's, I already said it, it's extreme, but that's what it looks like when you put a hope a God-level hope in something other than Jesus is that oftentimes we're met with disappointment. You see, the difference between optimism and hope is that optimism evaporates in the face of difficulties and hope strengthens you to walk through your difficulties. You see, Simeon was credited with righteousness and, and the word being devout not because he was a positive guy, not because he was a good person, not because he checkmarked the religious activities that he needed to do, but it was because he had an unshakable belief that God would do the very things he had promised. You see, as a, as a Jewish person, Simeon would have grown up his whole life hearing the stories about how God had already come through and fulfilled promises time and time again. He would have heard the story uh, of how Abraham and Sarah, right? Sarah was old in age. God promised them a child. And I think if the numbers are right, she was somewhere around 90 years old. I'm pretty sure I've never seen any grandmother give birth, or at that point, maybe even a great-grandmother, give birth to a child. But God promised them a child. And what happened? In a time when they didn't expect it, God came through with his promises. And he was good on his word. Simeon would have grown up hearing uh, the, 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 the prophets in, in Isaiah specifically in chapter 9 where he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be, his dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David And over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. You see, he would have remembered in this time the words of Jeremiah as well when he said, Look, the days are coming when I will make a covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. But on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teachings within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least into the greatest of them all. This is the Lord's declaration for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. You see, these were the promises that Simeon had etched in his heart. These were the promises that Simeon lived throughout the rest of his life trusting, knowing that if if God fulfilled his word once, he's going to do it again. 
And that if God promised me that I'm gonna see the Messiah before I breathe my last breath, then I'm gonna live every day for the God who promised this, expecting at some point to see the Savior. And on this special day in the life of Simeon, he walked into the temple. Standing there was Mary and Joseph performing what they were called to do. And in that moment, God's promise came true. And at an old age, he saw the Messiah. And in a response that can just be described as a joyful moment, Simeon took in his arms this child that Isaiah promised. And before everybody there, he exclaimed that Jesus came as a gift to all people by saying, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you had promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles and a glory to your people, Israel. You see, this would have been a big statement to make in the temple that day. There would have been people there who heard this and they rallied behind, yes, a glory for for Israel. But when he said the words that Jesus came to be a light for the Gentiles, it would have been a little confusing. You see, Simeon had a different perspective. He understood that the Messiah wasn't coming just for Israel, but he was coming for the salvation of all people. And if it wasn't for this promise, and if it wasn't for this light today, you and I would not be able to share in the inheritance of in, with Jesus, which is eternal life with God, which is hope that's present today. You see, revelation is, in fact, the very nature or the very action of light. You walk into our boys' playroom with all the lights off right now, you're going to die over the amount of Legos and Power Rangers that are everywhere in the floor, right? I mean, you, you understand that. Parents, I think it's just a common thing. You love Legos, but you hate Legos because they're, they're, they're problemsome. But what happens when you turn the light on? Well, it reveals the potential hazards in your way. But it also reveals the path to safety. See, for the first time, the light of revelation had been given to the Gentiles through Jesus so that you and I today can know Jesus in a way that is personal to us. He said in his statement that in Jeremiah that no one would stand in between us. There would be no need for priests. There would be no need for some for, for a temple. The coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior would open direct access to God for each and every one of us. And this was the very thing that he looked forward to. You see, at the same time that he was giving out this praise, this this proclamation there, I haven't forgotten about Anna. But Anna was there serving God faithfully, day in and day out, hopeful, hopefully waiting with expectation for the redemption of Israel. Anna at this point in her life was was old. If you do the math, it says that she was married for seven years and then after coming of age to be married and being married for seven years, she then served in the temple for 84 years. So roughly she's over 100 years old. Laboring day and night for God. 
fasting and praying, expecting to see the redemption of Israel. And that was Jesus. See, in the temple, for the first time, stood two evangelists before a group of Jewish people proclaiming the good news of the Savior. And you see, in that moment, I'm sure there were people scoffing. I'm sure there was people saying comments under their breath, just like you and I would hear today in a world that is skeptical, in a world that wants to deny who Jesus is and what he came to do. And in so doing, we wouldn't be right to skip over this section in the, 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 the passage of Scripture here. It's not as warm and fuzzy as what was just said, but, but in the midst of everything that was happening, Simeon looked at Mary and he gave her this solemn warning. He said, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, Jesus came to offer hope. Jesus came to offer forgiveness. Jesus came to supply us with the internal gifts of knowing him so that we could get through good days and bad days and everything in between. But as Jesus came and he revealed truth to the world, it also exposed sin. And when you expose sin, there's tension, there's anger, there's frustration. See, I'm sure Mary felt like her soul was pierced as she watched her son grow into a man. Be ridiculed, reviled, beaten, and nailed to a cross. And today we see the same opposition as you and I proclaim the light of the world this Christmas season. But as we do so and the truth is is spread across the valley, people will have to make a decision whether they're going to follow Jesus or they're going to follow themselves. And even though we're going to get ridiculed, even though at times you may be made fun of for your faith, that we still have hope. In a world that looks hopeless, when you look at all the news articles and, and all the bad things that are happening around the world, I promise you today there is still a God who is offering you hope today that can change your life. It would be a fair question, though, for you to say, how can you believe this? How can you believe that there's hope when you see all this chaos, all this confusion? How can you say there's hope when you haven't even seen what happens in my home? And I would say we get our answer from Simeon. And the answer is that God's not done. God still has promises he is fulfilling today. You see, at some point, one day Jesus will return and he'll receive his people. To those who have put their trust in Jesus, it's a far greater reality than I can ever explain. And for those who've rejected and opposed Jesus, It's a far worse reality than I can ever explain. But here's the deal. The manger begins the story of how how he came to defeat sin. And today we wait filled with hope and belief that he's gonna fulfill the next story. And the next story is seen in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 28. And it says, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time 
Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. You see, if the story ended in the manger, we wouldn't have hope. If the story ended on the cross, we wouldn't have hope today. You see, the story of Jesus is not over. Today we wait for his return and for the moment when he brings us into eternity and fulfills the final promise that God has for you and I. And so I wait today as Simeon waited all those years longing for the return of Jesus. And as the band comes up today, I just have one question for you to consider today. If God has proven himself and fulfilled his promises time and time again, why would he stop today? You see, I want to remind us this morning that even though this child came in a manger, Jesus grew up to be our savior. He lived a perfect life He was obedient to the Father, never strayed, and he paid the price so that you and I would have the chance to know him. And this time of year, we give a lot of gifts. And I know it's overused and oversaid every year. But in reality, Jesus truly is the greatest gift you can ever receive. Whether it's at Christmas or whether it's in the middle of the summer. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I must do. No task I must fulfill. No thing I must give. No person I must go and talk to. To be considered worthy of salvation. The only thing that was worthy was Jesus. And he left the throne of God for a bunch of undeserving sinners so that we may have life. And so today, this Christmas season, if this is a decision that you've never made, I encourage you, there's no greater time to say yes to Jesus than today. There's nothing you must do, nothing you must say, except God, forgive me, be my savior. And so in just a moment, We're going to have a time of invitation. Invitation simply means we invite you to respond to what God's saying in your life today. Maybe it's praying for something in your chair. Maybe it's finding me or someone else in a moment after service to talk about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Maybe it's to stand today in worship of who he is. And so we invite you to respond. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that in your love, God, you looked down and you saw how broken we were. You knew how broken we were. And you provided a way out. God, you provided your son. God, not only did you provide him as the sacrifice for our sin, God, but we thank you this morning 
that the gifts of knowing Jesus are not material things, God, but it's the hope and the peace and the joy that you put in our hearts. And so, God, we are grateful of that today. And God, I pray for anybody in this room today, God, that may be struggling this Christmas season. God, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our, you know our family issues. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that in the way that only you can do, God, that you would put the hope of your son in our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.